So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome into another episode of So Rare in the States. This is Chris, the MLS card guy, and I am exhausted after a long night at the stadium. Last night, I was up very early this morning for baptism, so you guys will have to forgive me if I'm a little bit dragging today, but we are joined, as always, by uh, the best co-host in the business. This is Chris Nash. How are you, Nashy? It's going, mate. Yeah, doing good, doing good. It's a, it's a weird Sunday with no, no games on. I'm sort of twiddling my thumbs. Not know what to do, but we've uh, we've had a lot of action so far this weekend. We've got some midweek games coming up, so there'll be plenty to talk about. Yeah, for sure. And we we didn't get Sunday games, but we did get Friday games, which was good for me because I actually got to watch a few of those. So we can hop into those. And there's one game that we'll just avoid maybe till the end. And I think we all know what that one is. Uh, let's talk about El Trafico first. Uh, LAFC against LA Galaxy. And LA Galaxy really hung in there for large parts of this game, and they were very competitive. But in the end, just too much from LAFC. Yeah, and and I mean, LAFC were impressive, and it's just kind of terrifying with what they still have to come into that team. Because I don't even know. There's not like one player. Obviously, you got Bale going to be coming in, got Chiellini, but in that front line, I don't know who's going to going to get dropped because watching a game yesterday, a player we'll talk about later, but Jose Cifuentes was so, so effective, like almost making deep runs through the channels and just stretching. Like they just couldn't handle him, the Galaxy. Yeah. He was just getting in behind every time. And Veo was just dropping off and with his quality, just, just dinking it over the top. And that movement and that energy from the midfield there. And then obviously with the talent they've already got, it's just a scary proposition for any team facing them. But the Galaxy, like you said, hung in there and it really had like a derby feel, this game. It really had the spice. There was challenges. You could tell the fans, you could feel the atmosphere through the, through the TV when you're watching it. And it had that magic where, you know, in football, we know nothing's a foregone conclusion and especially in the MLS. But you look at this game and you think this should be an easy game for LA. FC and it looked it for a second, but they still felt the whole time to the very end that something might happen. And credit to Galaxy, they hang in there. They made a game of it. And it was a really brilliant game to watch. One of the one of the best games I've seen this season, just for pure, pure passion, entertainment. But yeah, LAFC get it done, which I mean, 
kind of expected. Yeah, I mean, it was expected, but so was Seattle to take care of business against Portland, and they got whooped. So, I mean, you never really know in this league what's what's going to happen. And to from a Galaxy's perspective, I think they said going into the game, something to the effect of against the top six teams in the MLS, the Galaxy had six wins, something like that. It was like some absurd, like they're just very, very good against good teams. And you could see, and they've beaten LAFC twice already this year, once in the Open Cup and once in the reverse fixture. And you could see LA, the Galaxy, had a ton of talent and were at times the more, I want to say dominant team. They they weren't dominating, but they at times were controlling the game. And I think that's really, really interesting from the Galaxy's perspective that this was a game that they really wanted to win. And a game that they have been, you know, typically they have been up for these types of games and they've played really well against good competition. They may lose to some games that they don't, that they shouldn't lose, but they have been really, really good typically against the big teams. And even in this game, they give it, they give LAFC all the punches that they could throw and LAFC just blocked them off and just took them out. Like it was nasty how quick those two goals came in. And the game was over at that point. I think Galaxy may have even gotten a consolation goal kind of late, but even then, it didn't really feel like it didn't really feel like LA Galaxy were in were really in the game. And I was texting with John from Predictology during the game, and I said it was like the thirty minute mark of the first half, and I said this regular season is over. LAFC are winning the Supporters Shield. There's no doubt in my mind that they're going to be the best team in the regular season. Now, when you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. It's a one-off game. So I'm not going to say they're going to win the MLS Cup, but this team is so deep. Even if they get injuries, they have superstars coming off the bench and they still have more. They have a DP spot open. Like they're still going to add more quality from here. So, and and we didn't even see Baylor Chiellini in this game and they still were the better team. So, I mean, it's, it's not tough. even... It's not yeah. even just Bale and Chiellini because if you look at the players who weren't playing, they had a Poku, obviously yeah. Chiellini, Latif Blessing, Mamadou Fall, Eddie Segura, Brian Rodriguez, and obviously Gareth Bale as well. I think every one of them players makes pretty much every team, other team in the league better. And none of them started this game, their biggest game of the season. So that kind of tells you all you need to know there. I mean... It's yeah, it's scary, and you don't see it in the MLS very often. But um, that's a proper squad of players there. And yeah, the Galaxy. To be fair to them, and to be fair to Vaney, he's changed the system up. They've gone to more traditional four-four-two, and put DJ on after his good form up top with Chicharito, and they do look a much better team and in transition because Chicharito, for all his qualities and movements, he really struggles to stretch the field. Um, so they were kind of relying on deep runs and they just didn't, they weren't, didn't really have it, you know, but since they've sort of changed it up, they look a lot more uh, dangerous going forward, a lot better on the counter attack. And you're right. Absolutely. When it went to one all this game for like that 20 minute spell before yeah, LAFC got their goal, they looked a better side to me. So there's plenty to take away from both, both teams here, but yeah, it was a great derby for the old rivalry. Week. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you kind of feel like this could be for sure a playoff game down the line and, and one that I would absolutely love to see. Um, let's go to another game that was uh, maybe less predictable, less what we thought going in. Uh, Austin comes into Atlanta for the first time these two teams have ever met. 
and absolutely dominates the game. Comes out with a 3-0 win. Atlanta started Roca Rios Novo, didn't start the new goalkeeper that they had, which I thought was interesting, but I wasn't able to watch this game. What were your thoughts on this one, Ash? Um, Austin have been really impressive away from home, and they obviously have quality, but they didn't even start with their best quote-unquote players. Drewsy started on the bench, and they rested a couple other guys, and they did what they needed to do. They, they were clinical, they're dangerous going forward. They're what we know from Austin. And they defended pretty solidly. So there's not much to say. I think the focus from this game has to be on Atlanta. And it's starting to look like real problems there because, yeah, they've had the injuries. But when you look at this lineup at home against a rotated Austin team, you start to think, like, where are the excuses coming from? They made an individual error, Caleb Wiley, who actually, I like him as a player. He's a young player. It was... Errors happen. He made a bad mistake for the second goal. But the what really came through to me, which won't show up on like the stat sheet or whatever, watching this game was sort of the mentality of this Atlanta team just seemed wrong. Like they didn't respond in any way to early adversity. They're at home in this 70,000 seat stadium. They're up against it. They got big players out on the pitch. And it just seemed like they 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 didn't have that bite. They didn't have that drive to get back in the game in contrast to what we were just talking about with LA Galaxy, who might have been outclassed on the day, but they fought till the end and they can come off the pitch and their fans can kind of come off with a loss feeling good. If I'm an Atlanta United fan, it's looking bleak. And as a football fan, you, you can excuse losing, but that mentality home in a big game, they've got to win games now, Atlanta, is kind of unexcusable. And I'm just... I hate to see that. If I'm a fan, I absolutely hate to see that. And I don't know what the cause of that is. I know Jose Martinez came out after with, I haven't didn't watch the interview, but I just saw the headlines. He was kind of a bit critical yeah. of his, some of his own players, said maybe there's some unrest, there's some bad attitudes around, sort of reinforcing this. But when you see, and like, again, going back to like a football, general football sort of principle here is... A lot of time, defensive leaks, when when teams are giving up so many goals, it is a mentality thing because it's a pride thing. It, it goes through, you see top defenders around the world, they take it as a point of principle to keep a clean sheet, you know. You think of Sergio Ramos, these, you know, with Jamie Garrigan, these guys aren't likable guys for the reason that they take it personally if you beat them, you know. And you just don't see that throughout this team at Atlanta. It was too easy for Austin. Credit to them. They did what they needed to do. But I think even they'd be surprised to show up um, at a Mercedes-Benz and just have a pretty much a cakewalk from about a 20th minute. And there was really not much fight back uh, from Atlanta. And it's worrying. One thing on a so rare standpoint that I did notice um, to look out for, and Atlanta seemed to be playing this really possession-based game which is nice in principle, but they're just not really doing much with it. But I noticed both Franco and Campbell as the centre-backs this game racked up really, really good scores in a 3-0 defeat. So I think that's something for the people out there to look out for because um, mm. they're basically just knocking passes round of the back. They're like an Ajax, except from they're terrible and just loop, getting pumped by 3-0 uh, at home. But... The styles kind of, they're a poor man's Ajax. And like, I noticed a little thing there. Franco's been getting great scores lately. 
And uh, I think that's kind of why they they just sort of playing pointless passes around the back. And it all looks tidy, but there's no there's no bite in this team for me. Very disappointing. It doesn't get any easier for Atlanta either. They welcome so they've been on the road for a while now. They went to Toronto and lost, went to Red Bull Arena and lost, went to Yankee Stadium and got a nice 2-2 result, which you'd take in any other scenario. But that means they've now winless in four after this Austin defeat. Next, in the midweek, they op- they welcome Rail Salt Lake, who has been much worse on the road, granted, than at home. But Rail Salt Lake is still very high up in the Western Conference. Then Orlando in a rivalry game at the end of the week next week. And then they go to LA Galaxy, to Chicago, and then they welcome Seattle. So none of these games really are cupcake, easy three-point type wins. They got to start winning some games here. Like you said, they're... They have 20 points. Cincinnati is on the playoff bubble right now with 26 points. And there's a lot of teams between them and Cincinnati that would also have to lose or drop some points for them to get back into this thing. It's certainly not over yet for sure, but it's getting to a point where you got to start putting some points on the board. If you're going to make the playoff, if they do make the playoff, they're going to be, no one's going to want to face them, but they may not even make it at this point. But you just see the difference, like moving on to another game, just down the road, relatively for America, is Charlotte. And they don't have all the talent in the world, but when they get the, the wind up their tails, you know, like this performance against Nashville, to beat Nashville, to put four past Nashville on any day is impressive. But if I'm a Charlotte fan, they might end up worse than Atlanta the rest of this season in the standings. You never know. But you can have pride that, you know, there's something happening there. There's, you know, there's been a change of coach. There's been a bit of unrest. There's been a bit of things, but the players out on the pitch are still putting it in in a professional manner and they're able to get results. And, and yeah, just from a fan's perspective, I just, yeah, it was really disappointing to watch Atlanta yesterday. And, and yeah, and to be honest, like, <laughs> it just sounds bad, but I don't even want them to. I want them to just, they're, they're a kind of a team I'm going to root against because I hate to see that individually. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, not much to say there. Yeah. Did you, the one thing, you, sorry, yeah. the one thing about Charlotte here, too, they have seven home wins this year. That's second in the league behind LAFC. So you go into Charlotte, you don't, you do not expect to come out of there with anything. They're atrocious on the road. They're horrible. But that's the kind of home field pride that Atlanta has had in the past that they just don't have this year. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple of surprise. Another result that obviously stood out, mentioned it there, was Portland away at Seattle. I know Seattle got a red card, but more, how excited are you about Portland? Because they're putting together some results now and they're starting to come. Like, to be fair to you, you said, you know, they're always in it. They can just go on these runs and it seems like they're going on one now and they've still got, you know, a couple of players coming back into the team. They've got a couple of young, exciting players mixed in with a lot of experience in that side. Yeah. Portland, Portland are coming, huh? This is so typical Portland Timbers that it's not even surprising anymore. They start the season so badly, whether they're in champions league or not. And then come July and August, we have completely written them off for the year. And here they come charging up the standings. Now they are two points out of fourth place. That's, that's a home game in the playoffs right now. Now, to be fair, they're at ninth place. There's a ton of teams, Dallas, LA, Minnesota, Nashville, Seattle, and Portland are separated by two points each. 
So there's a ton of teams in that Western Conference kind of mix. But boy, this is this is just classic, classic Portland. And going on the road to Seattle when Seattle's a heavy favorite and winning is also classic, classic Portland. We talked about this on on that on that betting podcast with Predictology. It is just what they do. They're unbeaten in seven in Seattle, and they've been underdogs in most of those games outside of the one playoff game in 2018 where they played a two-legger and each team won their home match. Boy, this is just – this is I, I don't know. I don't even know why I'm surprised, honestly. I don't know why I'm surprised because this happens every year. Every year we say, well, they're old. They're older this year. They don't have as much talent. And here they come yet again. Gio Savarese has them playing like absolute maniacs right now. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think um, that does for Moreno's price? I saw he stuck a penalty away. I'm assuming Blanco's on him in general, but you know he's he's a really good player. We spoke about before, and I was, his cards just got released. And if he's on if he's on the penalties, could uh, could be a nice little pickup there. Talking of teams on mini runs or putting runs together, we'll go back in a. A team that you're obviously a big proponent of, Vancouver, have been on a nice run themselves. But kind of under the radar lately, Minnesota, the last three games, I think they've scored nine or ten goals and got three really nice wins on the trot. If you're looking away at LA Galaxy, is a tough fixture. Then Real Salt Lake are never an easy game. And then they go all the way out to Vancouver and get a 3-1 win. Again, another team at the right time of the season, just starting to, starting to heat up there. And Reynoso has just been absolutely out of this world last few few weeks. So, um, yeah, do you have any do you have any thoughts on their little run? I've been saying that BC Place is the toughest place to play in the league at this point. Vancouver, since they get since they got back to BC Place at the end of August last year, they have more home points than any other team in the MLS. To go into BC Place and get the 3-1 win, and I, I didn't watch the game, but it seemed like the Vancouver scored first, right? And then Minnesota did, came yeah. storming back. Yeah, really nice uh, Cavallini header, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to go in and get that result, especially after going down, where Van, that's Vancouver's game, right? They get you 1-0 down, and then they just sit back, counterattack, and, and it, it can be a nightmare to get that 3-1 result. is massive. I've not been a huge fan of Adrian Heath, but – he seems to have put the the crying behind him a little bit since the Open Cup back in May um, that I had a little bit of a problem with. And he has this team starting to fire. They got rid of Hunu. They're bringing their, – their rumors are they're bringing in another huge striker. I don't remember who it is. But they've got like a DP spot open that they're going to use on a, on a forward player. They've got Reynoso who's on fire and can be one of those guys that can change games and just take over games. And right now he's on fire. And I don't want any part of trying to mess with Minnesota when when uh, Reynoso is on fire like this. Yeah, I mean, they play Kansas City at home and D.C. at home in their next two games. So if they can't win those, uh, they have to win those two games. And all of a sudden, they'll be top three, top four in the Western Conference. So, yeah, yeah they're really, coming. They're coming for sure. It really is the beauty of the MLS. And I'm starting to see it now, the parity. We're like, we're kind of halfway through the season. But you see the sort of narratives changing, the stories changing. Teams who you thought, you know, a couple of months ago just weren't quite at it. A couple of changes, a couple of players in or out, and they start to put these runs together and it almost feels wide open bar a couple of teams who it looks like have 
thrown the towel in for the season. And <laughs> unfortunately, I think uh, two of them, we know who they are. I Yeah. Did you, did you watch the Chicago game? I don't know if I can relive no. it with you. I wasn't able to watch the Chicago game, but DC played on Friday night very graciously so that I could watch. Uh, I live streamed it on Twitter. If anyone wants to hear some pain and suffering in a person's voice, you can go and, and listen to that replay. It was quite agonizing throughout. Um, but I wanted to, we, we wanted to kind of pose this question and maybe we'll, we'll put it out on Twitter after the show releases and see what you guys think. Because I think that just getting drubbed seven, nothing when you just have no chance and have no life is a horrible way to lose and probably the worst way to lose in the game. But you're trying to tell me that being up two nil and cruising against Columbus and then giving it away and losing three to two at the end is worse. So I, I want you to tell me why that's worse because just getting drubbed seven nil, it's just like hopeless. Like you, there's nothing, it's not like a tactical change fixes a seven nil defeat, you know? Yeah. But as a fan, it's the hope that kills you. I'd rather be hopeless at this point. You know, I've been saying there's something in Chicago. They've been creating a lot of chances, missing a few players. I've been blindly optimistic. And then we start this game against a decent Columbus side. And first, I mean, the, the tale of two halves sort of analogy couldn't have been more evident in this game. We, Chicago go 2-0 up and at half time, it smiles, it's happy, it looked comfortable. They're really playing well, to be fair. And you think, well, that's it. This is the turning point. They needed, they got this little home run. They're going to pick up about 12 points and put themselves in contention. This is the time when they turn it around. They're getting their players back. Shakiri sort of getting a run of games. It's happening. Easy win at home. Get the confidence up. Let's go. And then 45 minutes later, your season's over. You've got, <laughs> you've conceded three goals. Derek Etienne Jr. came on. Scored two nice goals, to be fair, from a Columbus standpoint. Um, Zellerayan made a brilliant pass for the first goal. Um, he's obviously a quality player, and he'll be probably even more effective than he has been if he can stay fit. Now they've got Chucho Hernandez, who came on and scored the winner. But yeah, from a Chicago standpoint, it was just complete meltdown, poor mentality. I mean, I could go into the decisions, the coaching decisions, um, a little bit more from a Chicago standpoint. And then discipline at the end, they get just to rub salt in the room. Miguel Navarro just coming back from an injury, gets himself silly red card, unnecessary, just frustration elbows the guy. And it looks like that's the season over. And I don't know now as a fan, as a card holder of Chicago, what that kind of means, whether they'll accept that fate or they're going to carry on putting their starters out because I have a few Chicago cards now and, you know, in other American sports with a no relegation, they start thinking, oh, maybe we'll give a couple of youngsters a run out. They've got some decent youngsters there. So you think we might see that in DC or Chicago where they just kind of throw in the towel and tank and uh, start no, giving the youngsters not, a run? Or what do you think? Too, too soon for that? Not this early. Yeah. Half a season to go. You're still technically only nine points back at the playoff, right? Like that's the hard thing with MLS is the playoffs are like half of the teams. So you just have to be halfway up the table to get into the playoffs. It's not like it's really that hard. So, I mean, like, I, like I was telling you before the year that we got Wayne Rooney in 2008, when I worked in DC, we were dead last in the table. And I think we had six points. Maybe we had maybe two wins 
Uh, we'd only played two home games and every other game was on the road because we're opening a new stadium halfway through the year. And Wayne Rooney came and he sparked with Lucho immediately. And we went on a run and we ended up like a four seat. We ended up hosting a playoff game. So it's way too early to completely throw in the towel on a team, especially a team with promise like Chicago, a team that's creating chances, just not finishing. Eventually you start to finish those chances and you start to turn some of these results around the more concerning thing for me is, is DC because you're talking about some, some tactical decisions that were maybe not quite right. I think we made a sub at halftime. That was like a forward for a defender when we're down five nil, like just keep all your defenders on the field. So you don't give up nine or 10, you know, it, it's completely worthless at that point to sub on a forward. Um, we also, you were talking about a red card and someone getting sent off. We had one of our starters towards ACL. So he is literally out for the year. Does not help the depth at all, at all. Uh, at all. And it's just a situation where Chicago has some signs of life. DC is, they're not even trying. Like, honestly, I would accuse them of like throwing games to try to be, to try to get a higher draft pick. Uh, they're not doing that, but it just looks like that's the only way you can be this bad in this league is, is that's what you're doing. And the more, uh, another thing that's worrying for me is Ben Olson, who was our coach for a long, long time and is very, very tight with ownership and the front office and everybody. He was doing the pregame for ESPN on the LAFC LA galaxy game. And they did the pregame for the Philly DC game. And he said, yeah, DC's just one or two pieces away from being a playoff team. Like they're going to get it together. And then you go out and get, smoked seven nil by Philly and they came back to him after the game and he just put his head in his hands and he's like, I don't know. So like, hopefully this wakes them up and they say, yeah, we're not one piece away from being a playoff team. We're probably realistically six pieces away at the minimum from being a playoff team. Just blow up the roster and start over. You can start now in the summer transfer window. There's no point. And we should be seeing more of Jackson Hopkins and Ted Cootie Pietro because, yeah, you're talking about playing youngsters. Those guys need a chance to just get some game time. The guys that we have now. And, and we need to see Moses Nyman. Nyman has been injured all year, so they haven't had the chance to play him. But I think he's beginning to come back or is back or something to that effect. So, uh, yeah, I want to know what you guys think whenever we po- post this out on Twitter. Uh, and we'll uh, maybe we'll put it something in the show notes. I don't know how we can do like a poll, but. I want to know what you guys think. Is it worse as, as a fan of your club, is it worse to just get drubbed seven, nothing where there's no hope and you just know you're going to lose games the rest of the year, or is it worse to have signs of life and have hope and still be dropping results a la Chicago? So it's an interesting one. You, um, you bring up Wayne Rooney, um, and the coaching over in DC. I've seen some flickers, some rumors just today, actually, that there might be a return of weather in a, Mm. In DC, what do you think about that? So I'd be surprised if he came back because the reason he left initially, he was still playing at a high level when he left DC and he went to go play at Derby County and be a player coach. The reason he left was because his family didn't like DC. So it doesn't make any sense why now he would want to come back to DC two, one, two, three years later. Um, so you think it's I just don't a know. bit of paper talk there? Yeah, I mean the, the coaching, the coaching situation. Like when I met, when I mentioned Chicago just quickly, there is you're two 0 up in a must-win game at home. The game momentum is with Chicago. Like if you're Columbus, two 0 away from home, 
Chicago have a decent defensive record. You're just kind of going in at half time, not, you know, like in the MLS, there's so many games. They've got midweek games coming up. I feel like they're not going all out second half to try and get back in this game. You know, they're not like, it's not a cup final to them. I think just mentality wise. So you look at Chicago's lineup and Jordan Shakiri coming back from an injury. He's, you could tell in the game, his legs weren't quite back here. And I think Ezra Hendrickson didn't have the minerals to say, look, we're going to bring you off. We're going to put someone with more legs in there. Maybe go to a back five. We're going to just see this game out. We're going to, it's not going to be pretty. We're going to, the fans probably ain't going to like taking Shakiri off that have paid their money, but we need to win this game. We need to get a result in this game. And yeah, he didn't, he didn't do anything. And sometimes, yeah, like, I think that's a, a difference from a coaching standpoint where when things are going wrong, it's easy to see the coaching changes that should be made. But from the same stance here, watching this as a Chicago fan, just because you're 2-0 up and everything's going well, it doesn't mean that there's not coaching decisions to be made. And the game was there. Like, it was over at halftime, it felt like. And, yeah, now, now it seems like... not. I say the season's over. Yeah, there's chance to come back, but mentally I can't imagine what it does for the players around the dressing room to just at this point in the season to give up the momentum like that to have such a crushing defeat on this run of games I've not got a lot of hope but yeah I was disappointed um, as a fan there but I mean we can move on there's another couple nice results away result for Sporting Kansas up in Montreal Um, I didn't watch the game I know you didn't either but that's an impressive result there. Toronto, San Jose. Toronto, you feel like they're in a on that precipice now. It's a very exciting time for them, but they really need to start getting results soon because with the moves they're making, these aren't long-term plays, are they? These are we're gonna make a run to win this year, next year. Like these are I want to win now trades, moves that they're making in the transfer market. They got a draw, but you felt like this game could could have been there for them. Um, do you have any thoughts on Toronto-San Jose game? Did you catch that one? Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to see it. Um, I think we'll talk probably more about Toronto as we get into some of the transfer moves that have been happening. And I, I kind of have a theory as to, you know, what Toronto – I mean, it's just proof of what they're trying to do. Um, with the Mark Anthony K move in, in particular, but I think we can save that for a little later and talk uh, talk about some of these other games maybe because I, I didn't actually see the individual game. But uh, Chicago does play Toronto next at home. So interesting little kind of grudge match there between two teams that desperately need points. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, midweek here, is a weird one for Soria related. I'm not sure how much rotation is going to happen. It kind of makes sense if you're playing away from home, these midweek games, that if there was ever a time to field like a weekend team, I wonder how much strategy goes into that. I'm having a bit of a nightmare deciding who to play here coming up in the midweek. But yeah, again, it's kind of a, a game where both teams are going to go into it thinking their opposition aren't, on playing out their skin at the minute. There's three points up for the taking. So we'll kind of see how that plays out. 
Um, the the one the one other thing with that game too, Toronto has Montreal coming up after that, which is a huge rivalry, the Canadian Classique. Uh, so they may rotate at, at Chicago because a ton of teams last midweek rotated prior to their rivalry games this past weekend. So yeah, you may see a lot of rotation in Toronto. Yeah, but Chicago too. I think um, obviously Navarro is going to be suspended with his red card. I think Gaston Jimenez um, is out for accumulation of yellows. Um, double check it, but there's a little PSA there. So they're not going to be full strength either. I don't know whether Shakiri can play three games in a week. So if I'm Ezra Hendrickson, this is a game where I'm looking at with all that in mind, thinking this is the game I've got to win. I'm going to put yeah. my best team out. I'll rest Shakiri on the weekend or whatever. You got, you got Seattle next after that. Yeah, exactly. So um, hopefully they do that. But yeah, the surprises. Another one is obviously rivalry week. And one of the most exciting games of the weekend. I just watched the highlights, but <laughs> when people talk about rivalries in the MLS and if they're real, you got to check out this Houston-Dallas game to see if there's some passion in the stands there and from the players themselves. It was a tight game and it was playing like a derby and then Dallas get a really nice counter-attack at the end and Jesus Ferreira buries a chance, really nice finish for him and he wheels off to celebrate full wind-up style in front of the Houston fans. <laughs> and it's, it's wrong, it's bad, but he's just getting pelted with like bottles, objects, shoes, everything you can think of from the fans. And it, it was almost spilling over. And although you don't like to see that, it was almost a wake-up call to me, like, wow, this really does matter. And I'm sure people coming to the league, new fans checking out this rivalry week that they're kind of marketing in the MLS We'll see some of that footage and be like, wow, this is this is a real, there is real passion in both the players and the fan bases, which you do like. Obviously, you don't want it to spill over. So it's 2-1, 92nd minute. The game looks to be won. And then Houston come back and equalize in, I think, the 101st minute, 11 minutes into stoppage time. And again, with the two rivalry games, two big ones that I watched this week, um, unbelievable entertainment, goals, drama, passion, everything you want to see. I think it's a really good sign for the MLS for the future that these aren't sort of, these are real rivalries and the players and the fans define what a rivalry is. It's not just sort of out there in the marketing department. So uh, really good to see, really exciting stuff. And there's a few more big games coming up, big rivalry games. So um, yeah, look, looking forward to those. Hector Herrera made his uh, debut. I don't know if you uh, have any thoughts on his impact there. Obviously, we spoke to the guy down in Houston last week, and he's really excited for both the on-field and off-field impact. Um, and he looked really different class when he came on. So, yeah, I think both fan faces will be walking away from that game pretty happy from an entertainment standpoint and from what they saw on the pitch. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And Houston follows that up by traveling to Austin in this midweek. So another Texas Derby rivalry game that they are going to have to to play through. Houston's an interesting one, right? They're kind of behind that pack that I was talking about in the Western Conference, where there's from fourth to ninth, teams are separated by two points. And then Vancouver is two points behind Portland in 10th. And then Houston's two points below that. So they're not out of it by any means they're five points back of the line right now Hector Herrera's coming in and I, I obviously didn't get to watch it so that was one going to be one of my questions to you is how did he look does he make a big big impact in this team does he change the way that they play 
he's a unique kind of player, Hector Herrera. He's because he kind of he's he's a he can play kind of anywhere in the midfield, especially in the MLS level. But he's like a playmaker from deep. And when you talk about tempo, when you talk about quality and transition, these players are so important in football. But I think in the MLS too, they're even more effective. And the impact he had coming on, he was getting the ball deep and firing a pass that not many players in world football can do. And he did this, if you watch the highlights, two or three times, just completely split the lines with one pass. And yeah, I mean, Houston don't really have the players to capitalize on it yet. Maybe they can bring in another couple pieces there. I mean, I can only imagine if they had like a 10 in there, you know, like these Reynoso, Zellarian, these kind of guys around the league who can then turn and yeah, they could be really dangerous, really devastating. I'm excited. I'm really going to keep an eye on him from a so rare standpoint because if he gets on some set pieces, which he definitely has the quality to and starts dominating those, he could be a really underpriced card for now because he's going to be the main man. He seems up for it. And yeah, he's just a quality player. Like he's played at a world-class level, Champions League level. And it really shows. It's nice to see because there's definitely players who come in with that reputation who either don't really live up to it. They can't make an impact. But I think that he's the player type that he is really going to suit this league. And yeah, I think he's going to be a big, big player in the league and in Houston. So yeah, I'm really excited to see how he develops this year. And then obviously for the rest of his career. Yeah. I mean, it, the thing, I, I, so we've watched him for years and years and years with Mexico playing the United States and yeah, he's got just an unbelievable vision, first of all, to find these passes. And then the actual ability to execute is, is it's absurd. And one of the reasons that the U.S. has been so successful against Mexico in recent years is they've had the youngsters, and, and they are young for the U.S. national team, they've had the youngsters to be able to go and press and just not give him time or space on the ball, which has made a huge, huge difference. In Houston, in that heat, teams are not going to press for 90 minutes. So I think it's a beautiful spot for him to just kind of sit there and dominate the league because you really can't take him away for 90 minutes. You can probably take him away for a half, but he's going to get some chances. And and you alluded to the fact that maybe they don't have the quality to finish those at this point, but they've got some they got some nice players. Like they're they're it's not like they've got DC players. So Houston's an interesting one. I, I, the Western conference is loaded, so I don't know who's going to go up and who's going to go down, but Houston is not one that I would count out as of yet. Yeah. I, I think the it, only when, team I'm counting out is Kansas city and maybe San Jose. Yeah. When you're looking at Houston, it's going to be tough for them in all honesty, I think to make the playoffs just with the pieces they've got, they do have some decent players, but I think if I'm a Houston fan, I'm already looking for next season. Like, they're honestly a couple pieces where they start to become really competitive, you know? And the going back to Hector Herrera and like for Soria managers for Europeans listening, when you're trying to gauge like these European stars who have played at the top level come into the MLS. And this is something that I'm realizing as the season goes on, as I'm more immersed in it, is the first thing I'll be looking at is that player's mentality before their ability. And when I look at Hector Herrera, I feel like he's a player that you absolutely hate. If you're, say you're a US national team fan, he's playing for Mexico or 
you know, he's playing for Simeone. He's a player that you you hate if you're the opposition fan, you hate playing against him because he's he has that mentality. He's going to be there. He's not going to give you an easy ride. He has such a pride in himself. And like a lot of Mexican players do, you know, like they they sort of, especially of that generation, they pit and they saw that dogged will to win. And he really is a standout kind of guy in that mentality. So you come in with a playing under Simeone. I don't see him here for a paycheck, Wilton. I love having a player like that. I love having a personality like that around the place. And yeah, I'm really excited to see how he gets on. And from a so rare standpoint, I think he could be a monster if uh, if it kind of all falls into place for him there. So yeah, one to keep an eye on too. One more quick note on Houston here. And, and the reason I think that they don't make the playoffs, they only have five home games left. They have 14 games remaining total, if I counted correctly. And I, I only count five home games. Um, so just something to keep an eye on. They have, they have burned through a lot of their home games already, and they are still five points below the playoff line. So they're going to need a real serious run to get back into it. Yeah, talking of um, teams doing well at home, Salt Lake get another decent result. Colorado, not an easy team on their day. But a real standout was Jefferson Savarino again. And we're talking about Herrera making an impact in Houston and sort of taking a team that is solid and has some pieces and seems to be like invested in the coach's vision and, you know, trying their best up a notch. Savarino really is helping do that in Salt Lake. He, he scored a brilliant goal yesterday, kind of a top quality for the league goal. You know, not many players can sort of, he made, he made a nice turn about 20 yards out and just slotted in the corner, really quality finish. And again, they're just ticking along Salt Lake. And, you know, they've added Savarino now. They they look like they're going to hold on to the playoff spot, which we weren't sure about. And it's just nice to see from a MLS fan perspective when it's exciting, right, when a big player comes in or a player with big potential and he actually delivers. For me, I like to see that. And, uh, yeah, just a little nod to Savarino there who's – who's made a massive impact since he's came in. So, um, yeah, good luck to them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an, an interesting one with RSL as well because they have dominated that rivalry. They have been just about unbeatable every Atento this year. That was a game that we had marked down as a win for them, and they had a 2-0 lead, I believe, and, and blew that. So Colorado will be happy to get a point, but they really needed three points anyway. Um, but that, that'll be one where both teams are kind of unhappy with that result. Uh, moving moving forward here but yeah Severino has been fantastic and we've talked before the season how we didn't really see talent on this Larazel team and Severino has really raised the level of the talent I guess on, on on RSL and full credit to them they're getting full credit to the coaching staff they're getting an ownership they're getting absolutely every ounce of talent out of this team and then putting it into results yeah I mean we've touched on a few transfers here and I think it'd be kind of cool to delve into a few of the transfer narratives around the league. Obviously, it's just starting to boil up now. Some massive transfers have took place already. Um, the hotbed, I guess, the, is up in Toronto. Obviously, we've talked about Insigne and Crescito before, so we don't necessarily need to go into them individually as much. But the big trade this week was for Bob Bradley making this Big trade, and you, from the surface, it looks like they gave up a lot. 
to get him. So they must believe in him. He must be a key piece. What's your thoughts on the K trade? So I alluded to it earlier in the show, right? This was a trade that signaled where Bob Bradley thinks his team is. To give up Preso, who's, a, in my opinion, a very good young prospect, who I have some high hopes for, and hopefully he does well in Colorado. To give him up plus a million, plus an international roster spot next year, um, is a ton, especially when you consider essentially what Toronto did was trade Pasuelo out and bring Mark Anthony K in. That's the one for one replacement. And in order to do that, they had to pay something like eight, 850 K in an allocation money plus preso plus an international spot, which is a ton considering most people would probably say Pasuelo is the better player straight up, but Mark Anthony K is one who fits Bob Bradley's system much better than Pozuelo does. Pozuelo does not track back. He's a good number 10. And I think the move to Miami helps him immensely. Mark Anthony K has been with Bob Bradley and L- at LAFC before. He knows the system. He's kind of perfect for what they need. And I think Bradley's really starting to assemble his team. The one problem or criticism that I have is that his only move in the back has been 34-year-old Domenico Crescito. And I don't – that's their problem. Like, they're just leaking goals all over the place. They're scoring fine. They're scoring plenty. But they're leaking goals all over the place. So my question is, what is he – like, where are his priorities? Why is he continuing to invest in forward players and midfielders when they have a deep stable of those guys and some really good young players, too, that they could rely on? Why is he going through that? Because this Mark Anthony K trade, you don't make this trade unless you think this is the piece that wins me the title. This is the piece. Like they're basically chucking their entire future onto these, onto this set of players here. And they don't have a big window. You alluded to it earlier. They don't have a big window to win a championship, maybe two, three years tops with these guys. So this is a big trade. Well, what I'm looking at there is yes, he hasn't improved by bringing in defenders. He hasn't proved proved the team defensively. But when I'm looking at it now, it's a problem that we were kind of foreshadowing when we spoke before about will Pozuelo and Signe be able to be on the field together. That midfield now, if you're assuming it's Michael Bradley, some Mm. combination of Bradley, Osorio, and now Kay, they're all players that play both ways and play hard both. They will not be easy to play through that midfield. So maybe that's his strategy. He couldn't get the defensive piece that he needed, perhaps. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But he's thought, yeah, I lose something going forward with Pozuelo. But if I can bring in Bernardeschi and Insigne with Jesus Jimenez, that's enough to get it done up there. And we're going to shore up that midfield, shore up the centre of the pitch. And I don't know what the Salcedo Salcedo situation is, He's but gone. It look, looks like he's out the door. Yeah. So if they bring in now a really good replacement, I don't know how that will work. I think he's gone for the strategy of we're going to play with three kind of dogged players in the midfield, try and dominate the ball as much as we can in the middle of the park, win it back and get it to a front three that is as dangerous as any in the league if if it all comes together. Obviously, Bernadeschi, I'm not sure is official yet, but he's still a world-class player yeah. in international footballer. He's yeah. 28 years old. He will make an impact. He will make a splash in the league, in my opinion. So maybe that's what he's looking at. And I actually really like what he's done there. And it's a big gamble. If it does not pay off, 
Bob Bradley said he's going to be on the chopping board because the trade looks a bit. He's given up a lot. It's he gave up like a lot. Eight, really. So it's yeah. a big trade, and but I respect that. I respect that. It's from a coach, you know. If you if you're in the yeah. job, you got to make the big call sometimes, and yeah, it's kind of exciting to see how it play out. But I think that's kind of his thought process: giving up Pozuelo, bringing in Kay, who can do a lot more defensively. So. No, I 100% agree, and I I agree that Mark Anthony K fits Toronto much better than Alejandro Pozuelo does, but that's a big price to upgrade that specific thing and the whole or that specific position. And the whole point of MLS is you have limited resources to bring in all of these guys, so you just used a big chunk of your quote unquote budget. Obviously, it's fake money, but you just use a big a big allocation of your resources to go and make this upgrade here. And if I'm an opposing coach, I don't know why I don't just dump the ball over the top to Bono or Westberg or whoever who wants to put in the back of the net. Just dump it to Bono and Westberg and say, I dare you to try to play out of the back because I've watched plenty of Toronto games where they can't even get the ball to the midfielders. The defenders are turning it over before it gets to midfield and teams are scoring on them from there. And it's just, I I don't know. He's got to pick probably two defenders that can play passes. Now, Crescido may be one, but he's got to pick two guys that can reliably get that ball from goalkeeper or from their own spot to those midfielders. Because if you're not, if you're not getting the ball to the midfielders, it doesn't matter how good you could put Ronaldo, Messi and Mbappe up top. If they never get the ball, they're not going to score. So I, uh, some, some it's questionable. It's question. I, yeah, I'm not sold yet. It, and it, it, like I said, it depends if he makes two more good moves at, at center back, this is a really good team. And we, we talked about how close they are to the playoff line and it's certainly not season over yet for them, but there's still more work to be done. Yeah. I see. Yeah. But that's what you want, right? It's exciting. Now I'm sure if you're a Toronto fan, you're excited to see the shake up. And as an MLS fan, yeah, they're, they're kind of the narratives you want to follow. I want to see how this is going to work out. And it's, it's, it's a big move. There are big moves mm-hmm. being made and there's ripple effects. You touched on it. And I think, that Pozuelo down in Miami, he's going to have run of the place for so rare. I think it can be a good move, even though on the surface he's going to a team with less talent around him, potentially. But he's going to be the guy, and that's kind of what you want. So I don't think that's going to hurt his price or his so rare performance too much. It could even help it. I guess yeah, I that remains to be it. seen. But, I think it uh, helps it tremendously, actually, because they're going to play a system that fits him perfectly. And he's got Campania up top who can actually finish. So, yeah, I think it helps Campania and Pozuelo immensely, immensely. I think they're much better in Miami than they are, or than Pozuelo was in Toronto. Yeah. Um, talking of forwards, we saw a glimpse of uh, Chucho Hernandez for the Columbus. He came on and broke our hearts with a last-minute goal. And you pay over $10 million in the MLS. That shows you, I don't know if you saw the goal, but that shows you what you're paying for. Yeah. He's through one-on-one, he's cold, he's come off the bench, and there was never a doubt. He just tempts, tempts in Slanina and just dinks it over him with all the confidence in the world. And that is what we call quality. You know, that's composure, quality. And, like, if you're paying the big bucks, that's what you want to see. Obviously, we haven't seen enough of him yet. I don't know really that he's going to be a player that's, you know, dropping in, getting the ball, 
sort of being a playmaker, but he doesn't need to do that. that. that He doesn't need it. He's going to be exactly what he did there. He's been making the runs. They've got the quality to find him. And he just takes Columbus to a new level. And again, it's another one of them teams that's kind of floating around in there that now you're starting to look at with some optimism too. So yeah, it's all shaping up sort of halfway through the season here. And uh, yeah, massive signing and immediate impact, which is what you want. See, Columbus was one of those teams that I had pegged as a second half kind of spring on you type team from where they are right now, because they have absolutely everything. They have every piece you could want. They have good wiggers. They have good midfielders. Goalkeeper is solid. Got decent center backs, but they did not have a goal scorer. This was, we're talking about the Mark Anthony K trade being, we're going to push all of our chips into the table for this one piece that we need to win a championship. This is exactly the one piece that they needed. This is exactly the right spot. And now it's up to the player to gel with the team. And I mean, already he's delivered three points. Well, two points for them. Yeah, I'm excited about Columbus for sure. The East is a little more open than the West. And they're only one point back of the playoff line with some questionable playoff teams ahead of them, like Charlotte and Montreal. So, yeah, I I think Columbus is on a really nice spot. They're actually only eight points back of of number one of the top of the division. So I don't know if we're going to see a see a card of him, but I would like to pick one up. I think he's just, yeah, he's he's, dirty. Yeah. He's how much do you think he'd probably be up with an elite level price range? I think with a true season with a forward card. Yeah. I I could see him scoring double digit goals the rest of the way here. I I wouldn't be surprised at all. The one guy that I may pick up that this benefits, I don't know his price. So maybe he's overpriced already, but Lucas Zellerian has massively benefited from him coming because now he has back in the day, back in the day when Giassi was finishing, Zellerian was a monster. And now he's going to get those attempted assists. They're all going to become assists and he's just going to go off. So yeah, Zellerian, well, Zellerian is also a very hot and cold player. So he can have periods where he just completely disappears but if he turns it on, especially if he turns it on in the playoffs, I would not want to play Columbus. Yeah, and sometimes like he he comes across as a very intelligent player, and I think like if you can, then players need the players around them to be on the same wavelength to get the best out of them. And now he can't if he can click with uh, Cucho, Chucho, um, and they can really build that partnership up there and almost become you know. Tele- telepathic with their relationship, I think that we could see some unbelievable results. And I'd love to get that stack in next season. You know, I can just see it happening now. Like the quality of run, the quality of movement, and he has all the quality to find him. I just think it's a recipe for success. So yeah. Well, both, both Barry and Zardas have been very expensive at times this year because everyone knows whoever that Columbus striker is, is going to get fed by Zellerian. So you want that guy, and unfortunately, he doesn't have a card yet. We'll have to wait till next year. But yeah, you're you're 100 right. That stack next year, it's going to be absurd. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's a couple other ones. We had uh, Vrioni going up to New England, which I don't, I haven't seen him play too much, so I can't comment too much. But obviously, they need a striker um, in the absence of Buxar. So I think he's got the pedigree. He's another one where it's just an exciting time, the transfer season. I want to see how he gets on. Do you have any insight into their play style, how he might you know, might benefit? Yeah, I don't know anything about him other than the fact that I won him as my first tier three U23 reward. 
And I was like, who is this guy? I have no idea who he is. And I was like, I don't want him. So I just, I just gave him, did a little giveaway, uh, gave him away to somebody. And then I, I messaged him back after the transfer came through. And I was like, yo, I need this guy back. He's a DP now. Like I need him back. On that <laughs> team. Um, but no, it, yeah, I don't know how he plays or if he, if he really gets along on that team. Obviously, Bo has been playing up top recently, so I don't know if he if this slides him back to a winger. If Rioni's going to play winger, I don't know how they're going to do things. But this is the Buxa replacement. This is kind of the guy that we've been waiting on. They got their Matt Turner replacement, who seems to be doing pretty well, and Georgie Petrovic. New England's, I mean, we keep saying this. New England's another one of those teams that is starting to get things together. They're another team that's dangerous that you don't really want to see in the playoffs. Just if you get anything from this episode, watch the MLS playoffs. It's just a bunch of teams that are really good, but not great playing against each other. And you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, hundred percent. And it, yeah, it's, it's a, it's really starting to come together and feel like you get almost a small compartmentalized in other leagues around the world, this feeling of like, all right, well, the top four or five shaping up in, the Premier League and then like the relegation battles shaping up and then there's like the Europa League, the middle of the pack and who's going to try and squeeze into Europe. It's almost compartmentalised whereas like at this point of the season with a playoff structure, it gives all most fans of most of these teams we're talking about can convince themselves into the fact that we can lift this trophy at the end of the year, you know? Just a couple of things happen, a couple of things go our way, we're in with a shout. And I just think that's so good from the fan experience and from so rare where people are playing and picking up players from the MLS to try and like follow it more, maybe they're European based. It's just an exciting like aspect of the league. It's a really exciting thing because you almost, unless you do what I did or you doing, have Chicago or DC players and you're just out of it. You used to have your players now and you're looking, oh, like, I'll hold on to it. I think they, mm. I think they got a shot. I think they could, you know, turn around. You know, you, you had a Columbus stack that just gets better now. You got Zella Ryan. That card just goes up with one transfer. Some of this stuff in Toronto. You know, things change so quickly, and it's so fine the margins that I think from a so rare experience and from obviously a fan experience, it's just such a good league. So yeah, if you're not if you're not in the MLS yet on so rare, let's let's get involved. Here, here's the here's the stat that kind of illustrates your point, right? DC is in dead last in the entire MLS. They're averaging one point per game that they play. Red Bulls, who are in the first place in the Eastern Conference, they're averaging 1.65 points per game. So it's 0.65 points per game difference between first and worst in the entire league. It's mental how close these teams are. Yeah. I mean, but just as we're wrapping up here, do you have any sort of from your so rare account standpoint, is there anyone you're looking at now thinking either a stack, a team, a individual player that you're thinking, I think like kind of putting your chips down on one team, one player, one idea for the rest of this season, for the back half of the season going into the playoffs. So obviously the Seattle stack for me, because I think they're still undervalued and Seattle always turns things on at the end of the year. And that could be a really OP stack that could really win some big rewards. And that being that stack being like the Rui Diaz, Ladero, maybe Christian Roldan stack, something like that. But you could throw, I, I'm not a huge Rustneck fan for in, in Seattle specifically, 
because a lot of his value came from goals and assists. He's just not getting that as a, as a defensive mid in Seattle, but you could still throw like Morris into this stack and be pretty competitive. So I do like the Seattle stack, although I've now sold pretty much all of my Seattle stack. The other big stack that I think, so, so I've got an Atlanta stack right now. I've got Tiago or not Tiago, uh, Araujo and Marcelino Moreno. And then I've got, uh, Drake Callender and Damian Lowe from Miami, which I think is one that no one's really paid attention to. I've watched a ton of Drake Callender. He's so good. He's so good. So I don't see him ever giving that spot back up. Damian Lowe in real life is not really that great. I don't think I would sign him for my team, but he makes these like he'll dive into places he shouldn't dive in and he either gets the ball or he gets absolutely torched. Um, so he's either racking up tackles and interceptions or he's getting torched. So it's great for so rare because he racks up points like crazy. Uh, my stack this time or this week got, got torched because he had an own goal in the 90th minute that ruined the shutout for both him and calendar. So I lost about 70 points off, off the top. I was in for like a tier two rare and I I ended up with nothing. So yeah, yeah, I I think those two would be the ones for me. What about you? Where, Where are you looking? Well, my question was based around, yeah, and it kind of applies to Seattle, but I'm looking at LAFC, and obviously if you're a fan, these new sign-ins are great. But if I'm a cardholder of LAFC, and a little bit of Seattle too, it's almost a detriment in a way, especially in these forward positions, the depth of talent, because I mean, the rotation risk, right? Like on it, If I'm holding Gareth Bale, Carlos Vela, you know, Brian Rodriguez, these... And you pick any of them, any of them guys. Chico. You're, yeah, you're just rolling the dice on are they going to actually play this week? You yeah. know what I mean? And you can't, there's not like a clear thing where it's like, all right, yeah, like it obviously makes sense that he's going to start now. Like, because with the MLS, with so many games, the travel, everything, you can make a case for any of these guys. And it's a good case and a reasonable case. You're basically just trying to get into the mind of the coach to see who's going to play. So there's an interesting thing. So although the team might actually improve, which when they do play helps theoretically everyone in the team from a card pricing standpoint, or like wanting to get involved in that team, in that stack, there's kind of that trade-off, right? Because who's play, who's going to play? You're never nailed yeah. on. And a DMP is just dead in Sora, as we know. So I've stayed away from the teams who I think are going to do the best in the, and I, I think like, I think I've, yeah, like someone, a card that's like, that I'd be betting on is I pick one of these middle teams who, who I like and like, yeah, maybe a Columbus, maybe a Minnesota, you see them picking up some momentum. You start, you know, I watch a couple of games, see who I'm going to back, pick one of those teams. Cause then if you've got the Reynoso, they, if they do bring in a covered forward over there, like they've been talking about, then You've got a stack where you're kind of gambling a bit that they make the playoffs, but you're really rooting for that team then. And if they do, the them guys are guaranteed they're going to be nailed on every single game because there's no one else that can play at their level. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. I'm thinking of picking up a Bernadeschi to go with my Insigne and just you go and nice. balls to the wall with Toronto and hope they don't just concede six goals a game. Oh. Balls to the wall with a team that won't even make the playoffs. I love it. No, yeah. that's why that's why I said Seattle, because I feel like they don't have the depth that LAFC has. They don't have anyone behind 
Rui Diaz. Like if Rui Diaz gets hurt, we've seen Freddie Montero, who used to be very good, but he's 34 now. And they have Will Bruin, who's a solid spot starter, but he's never going to start over Rui Diaz. Attacking midfielder, I don't even think they have anybody. If if one of those guys gets hurt, they just move, you know, Rusnak or whoever's playing defensive mid because defensive mid is just where they stick the extra attacking mids that they can't stick on the field. Um, so, yeah, I think Seattle, I think th- that stack is very safe week to week. They're a little older, so maybe a little more rotational risk. But, uh, yeah, I think LAFC as a team probably outperforms Seattle down the stretch here. But I don't know who's going to play. There's five guys that I would say are starting level in the MLS as far as their front three. A poke who's not just going to sit on the bench every game, guys. Like, he's going to start. You're, you're not going to not see Brian Rodriguez at all this year. They may get rid of Chico Rango, but they are talking about bringing in somebody else. They have five right now. They're talking about bringing in somebody else. So I, I don't particularly love LAFC stack. I, uh, if you do want a stack, that's always going to play every single game. Jim Curtin hasn't rotated since 1990. So just pick up any Philadelphia starter. They're guaranteed to play every game. It's the exact same lineup. Always a four four two diamond. I could tell you before that anything comes out, unless there's a suspension or an injury, I can tell you who he's going to start every single week. Super yeah. easy, and they're going to be there and abouts too. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, they, if you had a Philly stack this week, you uh, you didn't do too they, bad. They, huh? they don't get to play DC every week, though. In fairness, yeah, that's a shame. Maybe you just stack whoever's playing DC. It that's not my, a bad strategy. It might be my it's new really not. It's I might really just I might just do that limited just to troll you and like maybe I'll just win like a star rare every. You're just week. gonna get stars every single week, and I'm just gonna be like, why? Why would I not do this? Yeah. As we kind of wrap things up here, I want to make sure that we get to predictology and give a shout out to John here because he's come up with both a midweek and a game of the week for the weekend next week. So we have two different games to kind of look forward to maybe discuss a little bit about, and and we'll see what John has to say about these two games. So he says midweek, his game of the week is LA galaxy against San Jose, also called the California Classico. If you didn't know that consistently ranked as one of the top five rivalries in the MLS, obviously galaxy have the new rivalry with LAFC, but this is the OG traditional California rivalry. Um, he says 35 games with the edge slightly towards San Jose. San Jose's won 14 games as opposed to the Galaxy's 11. The away team has won three of the last four in this series. Um, he says San Jose have not won an away game in 10, in 10 attempts in all competitions, including losing in the Open Cup to second-tier Sacramento. San Jose have conceded the second-most goals in the league, but they can also score with 27 goals. Um San Jose have scored just 30% of their goals in the first half, but they do end strongly. They end the first half pretty strongly. Uh, they have 59% of their goals in the first half come in the last 30 minutes. And then um, LA Galaxy are one of the worst teams in, as far as home improvement. So they basically play the same at home and on the road. So he says, essentially, the Galaxy won't get too much of a home boost. San Jose can score. Uh, the Galaxy have had some issues in the f- past couple of weeks as far as defending. So he likes both teams to score in this game and San Jose to win or draw. What do you think about uh, about this Galaxy-San Jose game coming up midweek here after an, after a loss to LAFC? I'd uh, agree with John. I don't see this being a nil-nil. I just see there's too much... <laughs> 
like both the question marks around both teams mainly revolve around their defense. So there's a lot of attacking ability on the field. Um, Galaxy lose to LAFC, but they look very dangerous in the game. They look, you know, they could have scored three or four in that game, but they could have conceded five or six. And in San Jose, we know they're not they're not parking the bus. So um, <laughs> they got some quality players going forward. So yeah, I'm I'm with John as far as the San Jose getting a result. Yeah, I can see it. I can see I can see them nicking a couple goals on a counter attack, especially if it's a high highly charged derby. You'd expect Galaxy to come out on the front foot. And if I'm San Jose, I'd be looking to, you know, catch them on a counter attack. And uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But it's, I, I like that shout from John. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head here. Galaxy coming off this big emotional game against LAFC. It's a midweek game. It is a rivalry, so there'll be more emotion added. But you just kind of feel, well, I guess San Jose did travel to Toronto over the uh, over the weekend here. So a long flight black, and then they play mid midweek. So, yeah, this could be kind of just a, a weird game all around. We may see some rotation in this game in, in spite of the fact that it's a derby game. But, yeah, both of these teams score pretty frequently. L.A. were doing pretty well as far as defensive work in the first 10, 15 games of the season. Recently, it's it's gotten a lot worse. It's gotten back to kind of what they were last year, um, which is one one reason that I'm a little skeptical that the Galaxy can kind of hold on in this game. And we talked about just how big a difference maker that Jamiro Montero has been in San Jose. I know he's your favorite player in San Jose, but um, – for those that are listening, Nash is shaking his head now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Jamiro Montero makes a big, big difference in this team. You have Cade Cowell back from the USU 20. So I I think this is a close game. I still might take the Galaxy to nick this, but it's close. Yeah, I, I don't mind I don't mind San Jose to win or draw as, as the as the value play there. Um so we've got a weekend game of the week and a game that should always be on all rivalry weeks in in uh, the MLS. We have New York Red Bulls against NYCFC. These two teams have locked horns recently in a absolute classic in the U.S. Open Cup a, a little while ago. Um, yeah, this is a really interesting one. So NYCF, NYCFC continued their run of conceding two-plus goals. They've done that four straight MLS games now. They did get Tiago Martins back in the last game, but it didn't help. They still conceded two goals to New England. Did end up winning that game four to two, though, which was it was a crazy game. We didn't get to it, but absolutely crazy. Three first half penalties. It's the other New York, though, that is leading the way in the Eastern Conference right now. And New York City will not be looking forward to going to Red Bull Arena. Red Bulls have won three of the last five or four of the last six, if you include the Open Cup game against NYCFC. Um, and NYCFC's only win was at Yankee Stadium in uh, November of 2020. So, and he, he also adds one last thing. It says New York Red Bulls took a while to get going at home, but they've won five in a row in all competitions. You want to know who started that streak? DC United. They were the first team to uh, lose in Red Bull Arena this year, which was a little disappointing, but we got absolutely smoked in that game. Surprise, surprise. So uh, he's got Red Bulls over NYCFC. Um, what are your thoughts on on the Hudson River Derby next weekend? This will be a really fun one to watch because we kind of hypothesized about the Red Bulls press. And you can imagine how aggressive they're going to come out, like we just said about these derby games. 
if they normally press aggressively, you imagine there's going to be a bit of extra adrenaline coming through. My thing that I'll be looking out for would be, can has NYFCFC with their quality, can they withstand that early pressure and maybe even use it to their advantage? Because if there's a team that you don't want counterattacking on you, it's New York City. Because the quality and the speed of their transitions, I, I did actually watch part of the game on the weekend and uh, a couple of their goals, a couple of their counterattacks were frightening. Obviously, got Tati, Magno, um, I think it was Perea they brought on and he was brilliant, scored a brilliant goal. And they've just got like bags of talent. So it will kind of be a chess match in that sense. Will the Red Bulls be able to press them effectively and rattle the rattle uh, New York at the back or will New York be able to keep their composure play through the Lions at the right moment be brave on the ball and if they break them Lions then it can be carnage it can be bad news for the Red Bull so it'll be a real almost feel like a boxing match if it plays out like the way I think it'll be where you feel like at any moment one mistake one bit of brilliance can change the game and that's what you want from your football game so yeah, we'll see. I wonder though, I'll also see, I wonder if Red Bulls will go out that aggressively or if they'll have a bit more respect for their opponents in this one than they might for a, another team. You're shaking your head, so it looks like you got... Absolutely not. They'll have less respect for their opponents in this game. You watch the U.S. Open Cup game, Open Cup games are typically a little more relaxed and a little more... No, no, that was a derby. Uh, New York went after NYCFC, and this will be the same way here. Two more notes here that that are just from my opinion that, that John didn't have. Um, New York Red Bulls do not play this midweek. New York City FC is on the road in the Dallas Heat. So I think New York Red Bulls are going to be the much more rested team. And this is just kind of a rivalry that has been more or less dominated. And John did have this more or less dominated by Red Bulls. And I think that... On normal form, you would say NYC and Red Bulls are probably pretty even, but being that New York Red Bulls have had NYCFC's number for the entirety, well, not the entirety, but for a large portion of this rivalry, it's like one of those Portland-Seattle games. Like, you just kind of throw out the, I mean, I would have said Seattle's a a heavy favorite going into that game, but you just kind of throw that out and say, yeah, I mean, Red Bulls, until proven otherwise, you just keep going Red Bulls to, to be pretty successful. I don't think I'd be playing a lot of my NYCFC guys, especially you could see we talked about midweek rotation. I think we'll see a heavy midweek rotation in Dallas for this NYC team, but I still think Red Bulls are are probably going to come out on top in this game, which could be if they lose in Dallas because they're rotating. And if they lose to the Red Bulls, all of a sudden you got some teams behind them that could start creeping up and they might start dropping towards that playoff line. So it'd be interesting one to watch, but yeah, it's at 5 PM Eastern. So it's watchable for people in, in the UK and Europe. So definitely one to have uh, tuned in. If you want to stay up a little bit late to watch. Yeah. Well, that was good. Is there anything else you want to get into? We're, uh, I think we covered um, most of the uh, transfer yeah. speculation. Yeah, I think we covered covered a bunch today, and I hope everyone kind of got something out of it. Uh, just to make sure that people uh, do give us a, a like or a review on whatever podcast service that you're listening this, to this on, or if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe to the channel. Just helps us to get out there and kind of 
find more people and, and kind of spread the word a little bit. So we've been really bad about saying that, but uh, I want to try to try to say that just to let you guys know that that stuff does help us and it doesn't go unnoticed. Yeah, it is. The, um, next next time we speak will be after this announcement this Wednesday. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on that just before we wrap up? Any predictions? Yeah, so I I assume people are kind of following the Twitter, but if you have not been following the Twitter, and uh, I mean, we had an episode released on the same feed last week. Uh, we are doing a baseball podcast. It'll be me and Trip and B for the baseball side of things. And we kind of went into our backgrounds a little bit. Obviously, this is supposed to be fairly baseball heavy. I'm assuming we're going to get some, you know, new Premier League soccer stuff. I, I didn't say Premier League. No, no, no. We're going to get some... I'm not leaking anything here. We're going to get some new soccer stuff for the new season. I got Premier League on my mind because we we got the England trip that we're trying to plan out right now. Um, But yeah, I I think we're going to get a lot of baseball stuff. We're going to have live coverage of the announcement, um, probably be a Twitter space. So make sure you're following um, on, uh, on our Twitter. We'll have a live coverage of that. And then we'll have a podcast episode that releases on the baseball side of things to break down all the information that we get on Wednesday nights. So that you'll definitely be looking forward to that. As far as actual changes that we're going to get, man, I have no clue. I have no idea what we're going to get, but I, we will, uh, we will definitely try to break things down and, and try to give you guys our opinions as to what the, uh, the best way to go about business will be. Yeah, it's exciting times. I'll be uh, I'll be tuning in to you and tripping. Get the uh, we need all the help I can get if I'm delving into uh, baseball. Just Format. stay away. St- cricket, we call it. <laughs> stay stay away from my Atlanta Braves. That's all I have to say to you. Just stay away. They're mine. Just pick another team. Yeah, I'm done with Atlanta in in football <laughs> and baseball. Apparently, so they're they're on they're on my shit list. So perfect. I'm done. Perfect. All right, mate. Good chatting. Um, yeah, I'll uh, tune in. Tune into the sh- tune into your uh, podcast in a few days. Yeah, lots of stuff going on. So make sure you're following everywhere, and, and we'll uh, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one, Ashy. All right, you too, mate.